Sun City Anthem. Welcome to another monthly edition of Anthem Alive. I'm Dana Day. And I'm Chase. Our show this month features a movie review of Top Gun. It's one of my favorites and perfect for a movie night. And if you don't have a date night and are more likely to stay home and read, Irene Concilia has a book review of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And sometimes we all need someone to talk to. Well, you just give me a call anytime, Dana. I will. September 10th is National TV Dinner Day for all you fancy pants out there. And have you ever wondered how the TV dinner came about? Well, Phil Schlager has the story for us coming up on this show. Oh, that will be an interesting segment. It's Grandparents' Day, September 11th. SCA TV has more than one published author on the member roster. But Diane Hahn specializes in children's books. Inspire your grandchildren to read. It's one of the best gifts you can give them. And we'll let you know where you can catch our upcoming appearances in Vegas to see how we labor over a hot stage for your entertainment. Ah, that's right. We need some fans. <laughs> yes, we'd like to see you there. We have a surprise story, some important announcements and other information. So stay tuned for all of these and more next on Anthem Alive! Welcome back to our show. Chase and I are thrilled to be here, aren't we, Chase? I am. Uh, this is my second time, and this my is... My first time hosting the show. Yes, and we're so happy to be here. And, of course, we'll tell you about all of our upcoming shows. And this show is going to be a little bit country and a little... Pop, rock, Motown, uh, oldies, a little bit of everything. She's a man of many hats, but I yes. wear it. <laughs> Give me that hat. <laughs> Uh, it's great to be here at Sun City Anthem. This community is one of a kind. It really is. Aside from the numerous activities offered by the clubs, the fitness center, and sponsored learning seminars, this TV station sets this community apart from other senior communities, for sure. And this month, the show producers and writers rounded up interesting segments for education and entertainment purposes. And we'll start with a tribute to workers, since we have both Labor Day and Newspaper Carrier Day celebrated this month. Uh, here's a clip from the Daily News directed by our SCA TV talent coordinator, Susan Gerard.
You guys are so lucky to have a TV station. We just think it's awesome. And really? also having book and movie reviews and regular contributors and an entertainment reporter, our friend Diane Davis, who covers the hey, best Diane. in what's new in Vegas. We love you, Diane. We love Diane. And here's a movie review by Linda and Don Walsh on He Said, She Said. Let's hear their take on the movie Top Gun. Maverick. Maverick. This is your captain speaking. Today's exercise is dogfighting. Two versus one? Hey, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> what the hell? Hello, and welcome back to another edition of He Said, She Said, where we review movies for Sun City Anthem moviegoers, and boy, have we got a great one for you this time. We both really enjoyed the movie Top Gun Maverick. Although we have a beautiful 72-inch TV in our home, we believe that some movies really should be seen on the big screen, and this is one of them. We like going to the theater, and when you strike gold with the movie you're going to see, then the large popcorn can sometimes even be worth the trip. Yes, it does. Hollywood heartthrob Tom Cruise, who just turned 60 years old this year, played the part of a man about 47 or 48 years of age. But Tom is still picking him up and laying him down, and he had absolutely no problems doing so in this film. The stunt work is unbelievable, and Tom famously did most of his own stunt work. The movie has been in the works for over a decade, but its release was greatly delayed by COVID-19 pandemic. Coming out of the theater, I knew that this was the most exciting movie that I have ever seen. Alfred Hitchcock and Stephen King movies scare me. Top Gun Maverick did not. It excited me for two hours and 11 minutes. And I won't ever hear Kenny Loggins sing Danger Zone without remembering the opening scenes of this movie. The cinematography is breathtaking and there are insane flying action sequences. It is not only thrilling, but emotionally moving and a sequel that absolutely surpasses its predecessor. You truly feel like you are in the plane with Tom Cruise pulling six or seven Gs. He is playing the role of Pete Mitchell, call sign Maverick, just like he did back in 1986 in the original Top Gun movie. Cruise was 24 years old in 1986 and fit right into his character of about the same age at that time. Fast forward almost 30 years and you can see an older Maverick who can still bring it on. The team trains for this mission so many times with so many unbelievable aerial stunts that by the end there is absolutely no confusion as to what the final mission entails. The new Maverick is now 30 years in the Navy and is still a handsome, super-skilled fighter pilot who some brand as, if not a troublemaker, then at the very least someone who chooses to live his life under the premise of it's far better to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Except that Maverick doesn't beg for anything, and he even smiles when confronted to the consternation of virtually every superior officer. I found it funny that in his Navy career, Maverick would be evaluated by some as like, wow, in 30 years in the Navy, he only made captain? My guess is 
that with the next promotion to Admiral, he would more than likely have lost his full-time flying assignments, something he certainly would not wish for. So there he is, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot at a remote outpost in the Mojave Desert where his job is to fly planes as fast as they can go and while dodging the advancement to a rank that would ground him. Early in the movie, we see the first crisis in the possibility of the test program he is involved in potentially being scrapped. Ed Harris appears briefly as Rear Admiral Chester Hammer Kane, the one superior officer who most wants to shut down the test program that Maverick is involved in and replace it with one of his own, where piloted aircraft are a thing of the past and unmanned drones take their place. Arriving at the test facility, the Admiral confirms that the day's flying requirement is Mach 9, but rumor has it that Kane will use the unprecedented speed of Mach 10 and Maverick's likely failure to achieve it as his reason for deciding to ditch the program. Right about then, I knew the thrill level of this movie was going to be off the charts. Ed Harris himself showed some of his own mettle by using no stunt double in the scene where he, when he realizes that Maverick is already taking off, he gets out of his car at the end of the runway as if to stare down the oncoming fighter jet and takes on a powerful jet pressure wash as the freakly low flying jet passes directly over him. An old friend of Maverick's requests him personally to train a new group of hotshot top, top Gun graduated pilots who will carry out a strike against the enemy. The old friend is Admiral Tom Callsign Iceman Kazansky, played by Val Kilmer, who was also in the original Top Gun movie. Kilmer's involvement in the film couldn't be called much more than a cameo, but it was a nice touch. Maverick is told to report to Naval Air Station San Diego. Once again, we're introduced to the world of creme de la creme Navy pilots. The group of potential recruits include Lieutenant Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, the son of the dearly departed Goose, whose accidental death in the first movie still haunts Maverick. Rooster does not like Maverick for the obvious reasons, but it goes deeper than that. Maverick made sure that Rooster was initially denied entrance to the Naval Academy as a favor to Goose's widow, who made the request in an effort to stop him from suffering the same fate as his father. The commander of the mission, Admiral Bo Simpson, callsign Cyclone, is played by John Hamm, who cannot understand why Maverick's foe-turned-friend, Admiral Tom, callsign Iceman, Kazansky, is insisting that Maverick be the instructor for the mission. Admiral Simpson makes it perfectly clear that only his friends in high places have put Maverick in this assignment. And were the choice his, Maverick would not have even been considered. When Maverick gets to San Diego, there are a few problems. One is the presence of an old flame named Penny, played by Jennifer Connolly who owns the local watering hole where the pilots hang out. A friend of mine whose husband was a Navy pilot told me that the bar in the movie is the I-Bar at Naval Air Station North Island, San Diego. 
There is no way to describe the mission that they are undertaking and not spoil the surprises you will enjoy while watching this movie. The original Top Gun movie has become a part of pop culture. The question is, will this sequel do as well? I cannot imagine that it won't. One critic called it a vein-popping sequel, and it certainly was all of that. Top Gun Maverick has been positively received in almost all quarters. The fact that the movie raked in over $1 billion in the first two months following release speaks for itself. I personally think the flavor of any criticism out there may be based, at least in part, upon Cruz's public controversies over the past three decades. If you don't like Tom Cruise, you might have issues with the movie. We hope you don't, because if you like movies, this one is not to miss. And I give this movie an enthusiastic two thumbs up. And I too give the movie two thumbs up. We'll be back again soon with another movie review together as He, he said, said, She said. said, reporting for SCA TV. Wow, do not miss seeing that movie. I'm telling you, it was the greatest cinema experience with the popcorn in the movie and everything on that screen was just, it was so good to be back at the movies again. And if it weren't for Elvis, it would be my favorite movie of the summer. Tom Cruise, little competition with Elvis. He gives me hope that maybe I can still be riding the ladder when I'm in my 60s. Yes, you know? So I know. Well, and you out. will be. You will I will. Be. Yes. Uh, the month of September and the olden days was called the harvest month. The time to gather up the rest of the harvest and prepare for the winter months. With modernization, we basically can have whatever we want to eat, whether it's off-season or not. We have everything we need canned or frozen. Which brings us to our next segment, How Did the TV Dinner Come About? Phil's Profiles by Phil Schlager will dive into this history. Get a world away from the everyday with new Swanson International Dinners. On September 10th, 1953, a revolutionary new product hit the frozen food section in grocery stores across the country, and dinner in America would never be the same. The idea for the Swanson TV dinner had arisen months earlier with the company's executives in a panic. There were tons of turkeys, turkeys left over from catastrophic Thanksgiving sales. We're talking about 260 tons of turkey, all of it thawing and going bad. How was Swanson supposed to deal with a 260 ton problem? The company thought it was out of trouble when it placed a defrosting fowl in 10 refrigerated railway cars but the company wasn't out of trouble. The problem remained. That's because the car's refrigeration only worked when the trains were moving. So the company came up with a stopgap measure. Trains were shuttled back and forth between the East Coast and Swanson's headquarters in Omaha, while company executives desperately appealed to their employees for solutions. What happened after that isn't in question, but just who provided the inspiration for it is. By some accounts, it was Jerry Thomas, then a $200 a month salesman, just a few years into the job, who came to the rescue. 
The story is that Thomas, while visiting a distributor's warehouse in Pittsburgh, had seen an aluminum tray meant for frozen food. He sketched a three-compartment version of it, one that could double as both a cooking and serving tray, and presented it to his Swanson bosses. They liked the idea so much that right away they forged ahead with it. Soon Jerry Thomas's trays were filled with turkey and gravy over cornbread dressing, frozen peas and sweet potatoes. Ta-da! The world's first TV dinner. But hold it! Some say it was not Jerry Thomas who originated the TV dinner. Instead, they credit the Swanson brothers themselves with dreaming up the tripartite plate. Gilbert Swanson, flying to meet his banker, is said to have been inspired by the airline's food tray. According to Jack Mingo, author of How the Cadillac Got Its Fins and Other True Tales from the Annals of Business and Marketing, Gilbert got the idea for the name TV Dinner after hosting a party where guests were balancing food on their laps, you guessed it, while watching TV. Regardless of who came up with the idea of the TV dinner, there's one key player who no one disputes. That would be Betty Cronin, Swanson's bacteriologist. She was tasked with making frozen meals actually taste good. Her primary job? Figure out how to design dinners so that all the components could be heated to their optimal taste, texture, and consistency in the same amount of time, while continuing to look fresh and appetizing. A massive nationwide marketing campaign was started. It cleverly tied together Swanson's breakthrough discovery with the must-have prestige appliance of the moment, the television set. In 1950, only 9% of U.S. households had TV sets. But by 1955, the number had risen to more than 64%. By 1960, to more than 87%. Swanson took full advantage of this trend. Packaging was deliberately designed to look like a mini TV, tuning knobs and all. Then the marketing guys added a touch of genius. They called the product the television dinner and went to work. Their marketing target? Women. Harried women who worked outside the home. Women too who just wanted a break from the daily grind of preparing family suppers. The meals were priced at 98 cents and bolstered with a guarantee of dinner in 25 minutes. They were an immediate success. In 1954, Swanson sold more than 10 million units. The next year, 25 million. Sales of the Swanson TV dinner exploded from there. Pop a pre-made turkey dinner, or maybe a Salisbury steak or pot roast, in the oven, and you could conveniently have a full supper while enjoying I Love Lucy or Gunsmoke. The TV dinner changed forever how Americans took their meals, with far more people eating informally in front of the TV instead of gathering nightly at the dining room table. By the 1970s, some customers were clamoring for bigger portions. So, Swanson introduced a larger variation of the regular TV dinner, the Hungry Man Dinner, claiming it was for those who wanted to eat like a man and people with a hearty appetite 
1986, aluminum trays were replaced with plastic and the first microwavable TV dinners were introduced. They cut preparation time to mere minutes. Today, specialty stores like Williams-Sonoma now stock gourmet TV dinners. Restaurants from Detroit to Colorado Springs to Los Angeles are offering frozen versions of their dishes for carryout, a practice some experts predict will continue beyond the COVID pandemic. To many Americans, the TV dinner tastes like nostalgia. To others, it tastes like the future. And now, if you'll excuse me, I see it's ready, I'm gonna take a bite. Hmm, not bad. This is SEA TV's Phil Schlager with a quick bite for dinner. very interesting. A perfect story feature for your national TV dinner day, don't you think, Chase? I can't believe there's a TV dinner day, but I'm so glad I know that history now. Who knew? Yeah, good stuff. I'm going to go throw something in the microwave when I get home. I know. You're going to have your healthy choice, I bet. Yes, I will. Yes. Keep this boyish figure. Yes, you're doing a good <laughs> job. And by the way, September celebrates Grandparents' Day on September 11th and Read a Book Day on September 6th. Here in Sun City Anthem, we have a grandmother and a children's book author in residence, SCA TV reporter, Diane Hahn. Books are a great information resource and also a source of entertainment and inspiration. Our book review this month is Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Here's Irene Concilia with her book review. And I said, so uh, I'm not aware of your problem. Why don't we start at the beginning? 